is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part one with Michael Rubinoff, we talk about being a realist. Uh, we talk about being bold, come from away, grow the musical, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Michael Rubinoff. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Michael Rubinoff. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. I have so many questions. I want to talk about grow, of course, come from away. Before we get to all of that, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Well, I think <laughs> probably on the stage initially. I mean, I, I you know, high school camp, I think I was the best 10 year old Tevia that ever uh, walked the stage. <laughs> You know, I loved, you know, I loved musical theater growing up. I really did. And, um, but I think over the years that kind of shifted, you know, Les Miserables was the gateway show for me, seeing the Canadian company at the Royal Alexander Theater in 1989 or 90. That, that's where I knew I wanted to be a part of the theater. I think it took a while to figure out, a little, little while longer to feel that wouldn't be on the stage, that producing uh, was really what I wanted to focus on. Was there a defining moment for you to switch over from uh, performing to producing or having that shift of what was going to happen? I think it was in university. Uh, you know, I went to law school and on my final year of law school, I sort of had all the jobs lined up and I was able to produce and direct at the time the university uh, musical, which was Blood Brothers. It's a British show I love. And uh, that really, I think, put the bug in me that I wanted to, you know, in Canada, where we have one large commercial theater producer, uh, the Mervish organization, I wanted to have a find a way to bring off Broadway um, to Toronto and develop new musicals in Canada. So I think things started to crystallize there in my last year uh, of law school. What did your parents teach you about work ethic? Um, well, they were great. You know, my, my father's a lawyer. He's still working. Um, you know, he built his law practice on his own. You know, he, he really is a self-made guy. And I think um, his, his work ethic has been tremendous. And, you know, I'm one of uh, four. So he, you know, provided for our family and, and we had, you know, a really positive middle-class upbringing. And my mom worked too. Uh, my mom uh, was a social worker. She took some time off to take care of me and my brother. And then she went back to work um, just after my, my younger brother and sister were born. So I think, you know, we always saw them working and the importance of work. And, you know, they seemed to really enjoy what they did. So, you know, um, that was very positive. And, you know, I did, there was a time that I did work for my father. So I got to see for firsthand, you know, what it took to, to run your own business and run a successful law practice. So, so that's always stuck with me. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that you've learned or learned, sorry, during that time working for your father. Are there any standout lessons that come to mind in regards to running your own business? Yeah, I think, you know, I think some of it goes to these leadership questions. I think when you're when you're sort of like producing, because it's quite solitary in a way. I mean, when you're you're sort of younger building these businesses, you're at the top, sort of the example that you have to set and that the responsibility is yours. At the end of the day, you have to take responsibility rightfully or wrongly when things go right, when things go wrong, you have to figure it out. You have to be responsible. And I think that is 
really, really important, certainly uh, in theater, um, where at the end of the day, it, it stops with the producer. Do you have, do you or have you had any particular mentors? And are there any standout lessons from those mentors? Yeah, I, I find, especially the producing level that, you know, so many people in the industry were super generous. You know, when I, in that leaving law school period, I started to write letters to producers around the world. And two of the producers that I wanted to meet, one uh, is was David Mervish, who is, you know, Canada's leading commercial theater producer. Um, so it was really important. David, you know, responded to an old fashioned letter as we were writing. I don't, I don't even think I sent it by email. Um, but but really giving a lay of a lay of the land and some great lessons, um, you know, from his father who who bought the Royal Alexander Theater in the 1960s, and David's become a friend and a producing partner over the years. So that's really been a joyous, um, you know, uh, experience, and is still a mentor to this day. I, I, I mean, still so many lessons about you know promoting the shows, the shows you're choosing, what's important, what what, what an audience responds to. The second person that I wanted to meet, the really wanted to meet the world was Cameron McIntosh, the most successful commercial theater producer. And in Canada, we article, you spend a one-year apprenticeship as a lawyer. And just after I wrote my bar exams and before I started that work, I uh, he also responded to a letter. And I remember going into his office and he said, you want to be a commercial theater producer? Two things, common sense and trust your own taste. And I've sort of, you know, led with that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's really, again, yourself in terms of what you're trying to determine is a compelling story and, and, and a compelling reason to musicalize it when it comes to musicals. And, you know, that idea of uh, common sense in terms of, of how you approach uh, the work. How has your taste evolved and in this time? Well, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's stories that really move you, you know, as somebody that gets a lot of scripts and, you know, a lot, a lot of people wanting you to do their musicals, which is, which is really lovely. Yeah. I'm more interested in good people and good ideas. You know, these, these take a long, long time to develop, as you know, they, they're, they're multiple drafts. So I know the draft that's landing on my desk is probably draft five of 5,000. Mm. So when I say, you know, trusting my own taste, it's really trusting what gets me in the gut, what makes me react to something. I mean, I have to feel a sense of something, number one. And then when it comes to musical theater, there's got to be a good reason why it's being musicalized. It's a question that I need to ask writers and have answered from myself. Because there's a lot of material that we see, uh, you know, is made into musicals, especially movies. And there's always the question of why. And I, I like to start out a project knowing that I've got a compelling story and a compelling reason to musicalize it. I think starting with those ingredients, starting with good, kind people, you know, it's going to be a difficult road ahead, is the best foundation for starting a new project. If we could dive a little bit deeper on consuming the scripts, because there's a lot that are just out there. Are you finding any common themes of mistakes or areas of improvement, or does anything come to mind in terms of what you see regularly in a story? I think we have to remember that, you know, and, and you know, some people like the word, some people don't craft. I think anything you do in life, you, you have some sort of aptitude at it. Hmm. So there's a lot of people that roll out of bed and say, here's my script. There's a lot of lawyers that say, hey, I've written a musical. Um, I, I think that you have to either 
have some experience as a playwright or a songwriter or some experience in entertainment, whether it's a theater maker, a filmmaker, you know, there is, there is, you know, a nuts and bolts to doing it. There's no right way to do it. I mean, if I've learned anything, there's certainly no no right way. And if we all had the 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 magic ingredients to it, we'd all have hit shows on Broadway. So I don't believe there's a right way, but I do believe that, you know, just because you think you can write a musical doesn't mean um, you can write a musical um, for let's say a commercial audience and I'm a commercial theater producer. So I should also say is, you know, when you ask me, you know, what, what mistakes or what people should be mindful of, who are you writing your musical for? You know, if you're, if you're writing it, you know, if you're, if you're coming to me and you want me to raise lots of money to help produce it, that means that there needs to be a commercial audience that wants to see it down the road. There has to be some sense of a story that's going to appeal to a wide number of people. If you're writing it for very different reasons, there might be a different place that that piece of art should live. So I think sometimes you also have to be mindful of who is this for? What is your end goal? What is your hopes and dreams? And then looking practically all the things that it's going to take and you know, it does take money. That is the reality. Mm -hmm. If if you want to, um, if you want to commercialize something. Yeah. I always find myself asking the question of, you know, not to put a number on it, but is this, you know, a $15 million idea? Is it really worth that amount to, because it's a lot of resources that it takes to get a show. A lot of resources and it's a lot of uh, failure and being okay with failure and learning from that failure and time. You know, I, I think too, you know, when you get that script and someone proudly says, here is my musical, let's go. I immediately know this probably is not going to go well. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because you can see, especially even in casting, you can tell right the second someone walks in the room based on whether or not their headshots an eight by 10, what you're about to take in. Cause humans are very, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I also think, and I say this, I say this too because I've worked with a lot of great writers that have worked really hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's it is lonely. It's putting your entire entire heart and soul out publicly to be criticized to make it better. Yeah, it's so so for those people that that's why I feel this way. It, it's it's a respect and admiration for the work that those people do for for the the courage they have in 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 writing and sharing their work that I, I want people to know this is a serious, um, you know, opportunity. It, it, it takes a lot of work mm. and you have to be open to that collaboration with a much larger team um, in order to find maybe a little bit of success, sometimes a lot of success. Do you have any favorite failures or apparent failures that set you up for success? Oh my gosh. Yeah. There, I mean, there, there, there's so, you know, you know, one of the things when I met with all of these producers, um, you know, Bill Kenwright, there was also an opportunity to meet with him, another British producer. Mm-hmm. They all said you, at the end of the day, you have to do it. You, you, you can't, you, you can read books about producing, but you, you have to learn um, how to do it. And I think those failures are, you know, if you are going to be a commercial producer, one of the lessons that I learned um, at the Commercial Theater Institute intensive that I did 
back in the early 2000s was the numbers don't lie. You know, we are, I find people in the theater are so driven by their heart. And, you know, um, you may love something and you may think it's going to catch on and you may think it's going to work, but I, I have subscribed that the numbers do not lie. And sometimes you have to disassociate from what you're feeling in the theater, standing at the back, the joy, how brilliant you think it is, even with a small audience. And then that boat is going to turn around and things are going to change. Well, then you got to pay attention to the numbers because, you know, what, I, and this has happened to me in the beginning of my career, breaking the cardinal rule, uh, Max Bielstock's cardinal rule of producing, never put your own money into the show. And the second rule is never put your money into the show. And early on, I was very lucky as part of being a, a lawyer, um, you know, uh, using that money to fund this, this theater habit. Right. But I did learn early, early on that, that, you know, I, I think there were better, there could have been better decision-making based on um, what my numbers were telling me. And it's, it's something to this day now that, that, you know, I'm, I, I'm much better at paying attention to and sort of identifying and, and also being a realist when something's not working. Yeah. How have you gotten better at asking, asking questions, asking for permission, asking for things? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, it, it is, it's confidence building, right? Yeah. It's, it's confidence building. That That's two things, you know, you struggle so much as a producer because you've got to ask people for money and you, you've got to ask people to get involved. Um, I think once you have a bit of a track record, it makes it a little bit easier. I think honesty, honesty, honesty. You, you have to be completely transparent and honest in who you're talking to, whether you're trying to um, woo a creative person or an investor. Here's the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And research. I mean, you know, if if I'm going out to meet with somebody or I want to engage somebody in a project that I'm working on, I thoroughly research that so I have the best understanding of who I'm dealing with and why I think they're the best person for my project, but also being able to communicate to that person why I think they're the best person um, to be engaged in this project. So you, again, it's really putting in the work. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I find with each ask, it does get a little bit easier. Believe it or not, it doesn't get easier, but it does get easier, you know? Yeah, and you know what? No, no doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always say that. I'm always like, it's already, right now it's a no. It's already a no. Yeah. So you might as well ask because it could be a yes. So it's, and, you know. and, and I'm also, I've also learned a no today could be a yes tomorrow or could be a yes in 10 years or could be a yes in five years, you know, yeah. on something else. So you know, you just want to build those relationships and, you know, try and be a good person and, and, and allow people to see your passion for what you do. And maybe it comes back later when the timing's better. You might have just answered this question. I'm curious if you have any other thoughts or views on relationships in the entertainment industry. It's all we have. It's all we have. I mean, I mean, all you have is your reputation and your integrity. It is such a, you know, as we know, it's not a business where we sit at, in different offices with our doors closed or we sit at different workspaces. It's such a personal medium because it's live. It's such a personal medium because, you know, 
we are at the end of the day judging a performance or judging a piece of writing that we're trying to shape into what a group of people might think is better, whatever that means. So I think it is personal. And I think, you know, it, it, when when it gets personal and there are timelines, that curtain has to go up on a certain date that ratchets up the pressure significantly. I think compassion and kindness um, is your best route. And I think it's your, your, your best route, again, of being honest and realistic at different places. You know, one of the things I've tried to be better at producing is anticipation and anticipating six months out and four months out and three months out and one week out and saying, you know, here are the challenges and here are all the options on the table. Let's go to the extremes um, of each of those options and let's try and get somewhere in the middle. That's come in handy, certainly, as we've approached COVID and all the challenges around COVID and the priority to keep people safe and your ability to make immediate and good decisions with the information that you have, protecting everybody involved that has to be at the center of it. So I think it's just your, your, your forecasting in, in, in how you approach things and you know, it's just not worth being a jerk. Like it's just not worth being nasty or unkind. It, it, it's nothing is, is worth that. And, you know, as you know, it's a very, very small community all over the world. I mean, I've learned it's such a small community all over the world. And, um, you know, it's just not, I think it's in any industry, you know, be kind. You're going to be, you're good. It's just going to be a better you know, short-term, long-term, I, I think it's going to be better off for you and, and for your relationships and ultimately your business. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 